Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 86. This episode is an interview special where I meet Ryan Flanagan. Ryan Flanagan, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm delighted to be here, Joel. Just tell us where in the world you are at the moment. I am in the Chicagoland area in the U.S., uh, which is the Midwestern part of the U.S., um, in a probably the furthest southern suburb of the city of Chicago. Okay, but that's not where you normally live, is it? Well, I was actually born and raised here. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, yes, for the last seven years, uh, we lived in Dallas, Texas. Um, and so we're back um, uh, in Chicagoland for a transitional season of life. Yeah. Now, we first met, I mean, we met online, um, but because you very kindly agreed to sing a couple of tracks for us on our Doxicology album. So if anyone's listening and you think, I recognize this voice from somewhere, um, that might be where. So first up, thank you um, so much for doing that. Um, it was lovely to have different voices involved. And we always like to do that because we, we see ourselves as a bunch of songwriters rather than a bunch of, of performers. So we need people like you to to help us with that stuff. <laughs> it was a delight. Thank you. Um, tell us a bit about your journey into songwriting. Where does it begin? So you, you're known for liturgical folk. That's you know, with, with lots of people. But does it does the story start before that? Yes. Uh, so I was I was raised in a very musical church um, with you know moderately music musical parents. Um, they both sing. Uh, and the church, I, in the church, I had a music director who was absolutely wonderful. Um, and he would just, um, he led, you know, choirs for adults and children. He, we were always doing um, special choral pieces, um, but he was also kind of, uh, he was kind of in the advent of the praise band days Mm -hmm. in the 1980s and so he and he was open to kind of shifting from the more traditional hymns and gospel hymns hymnals to the contemporary choruses and so I got a good dose of both the traditional and the contemporary um you know my whole life really um and when I was seven years old I started taking piano lessons and when I was 11 years old I wrote or I composed my first instrumental piece. Um, and I did some instrumental pieces on the piano, um, you know, for the next several years until I was about 17 years old when I wrote my first worship song. Uh, and then at that point, um, to see the people of God singing the song, uh, that I created, that I made was, um, it was really validating. Mm. Um, it gave me a kind of a uh, a new kind of purpose, um, and really, I haven't looked back since then. <laughs> wow! Do you know what? As you're describing that, I think I could map my experience almost exactly onto those dates. I had the same. I started learning the piano <laughs> at funny. seven. By about eleven, I was writing bits of music, and then I remember in my teens writing a, a first song, and probably 
probably yeah and it would have been i would have been about 17 when i wrote my first worship song i look back on it now i have to say it's absolute nonsense but (laughs) it's really (laughs) but it's special at the same time it really is obviously you've been you've been um this is right you've been a church music director recently and is that is that the sort of career path that you followed has that has that been the, the journey yes and you know there have been seasons where i questioned whether that's what i wanted to continue doing um but but really yeah ever since i was 17 years old um, that's when i started leading um church music um for the youth group um i i really sensed that that was you know music in the church or just ministry in general um in terms of like working in a church that was that was kind of part of my imagination for a very long time even before i i was doing music i sensed a call to um to work in the church to be a churchman and so um but i'd say that when i was 21 years old um after a few years of leading worship I started really questioning whether um, what I was doing was actually healthy for myself and for the people I was leading. Uh, At the time, I was in a very charismatic Bible college. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, um, so it was natural for me to to go to a uh, charismatic or Pentecostal Bible college. And my experience there, uh, it was great. When I look back now, I can really see the value in, in my, uh, you know, what I learned there. But at the time, I, I really questioned whether the experiences that we were having in worship were genuinely Holy Spirit experiences or whether they were something that we were kind of conjuring up um, or a sort of... F- working ourselves up into a a frenzy of sorts in order to experience God. And, and, you know, I, I've, I've really lightened up on, (laughs) (laughs) on that in my life. I would definitely still consider myself charismatic. Um, But that was important for me to, to begin digging, to go into a season of digging deeper into the theology Mm -hmm. of uh, the historic church. And, um, and so I, that set me on an academic path um, where I went to seminary and got a theological education. Um, and, I, and I wondered at that point whether I would be going more into teaching and academics than, um, than st- sticking with music. And so when I was in seminary, I thought, you know, that was fun. It was fun to do music. I think it's time for me to, um, to, to you know, become a pastor or mm. a preacher or whatever. Um, but in my first semester of seminary, um, it really, I mean, through a, a number of events, it became very evident to me that the Lord had called me to lead music in the church. And so uh, that my, my calling was revived, and I really steered my theological education towards worship and, and spirituality. Um, and yeah, so and then from that point, it was it was kind of no looking back. So if we fast forward to liturgical folk, as I understand it, it, it begins with a an unexpected relationship, and it hinges on a new 
special but unexpected relationship. Can you tell us a bit of the story about the, the beginnings and, and how that worked out? Sure. When I moved to Dallas in 2015, um, about one month into my job there at All Saints Anglican Church in Dallas, um, I received an email from a parishioner, and it just simply said, request, <laughs> um, which, which we love. We love receiving those emails, don't we? Yeah. Um, and so I opened the email, and I just started reading, and um, it was a parishioner who was tentatively requesting um, that if I wanted to, you know, I could use this poem for uh, the coming Sunday, because the lections were the story of the transfiguration. And he didn't, nowhere in the email did he say, you know, I wrote this poem. It was just like, here's a poem about the transfiguration. So I read it, and it was a beautiful poem. And, you know, I happened to have some time at that moment. I picked up my guitar, and I wrote a little folk tune to the poem. And I sent it back to him, and and he emailed me back uh or I, I sent it back to him and I said, um, thank you for sending me this poem. I thought it was beautiful. Here's what I did with it. By the way, who wrote it? Hmm. And his reply a few, uh, few minutes later was, um, I'm sitting here with my wife in tears, just blown away that you would take the time to, to do something with this. Uh, I wrote this poem and uh, he used some kind of expression like, and I'm just tickled pink. <laughs> He's from West Texas. <laughs> On Tabor there was shown a light In Jesus' holy self In clothes and face in glory bright Each saw true light itself So Peter, James, and John have told and witnessed in their word that glory shown in Christ-like uh, And so I emailed him back and said, oh, you wrote this poem. Do you have any more poems? Because I sense a little partnership happening. And, uh, and he said, no, I don't uh, right now, but I'm a priest, I'm a retired priest, and so all I do all day long is pray, so why don't I just start versifying my prayers, and um, and I'll send them to you, and you can write music to them. So we started doing that, and um, you know, before we knew it, we had a couple dozen hymns that we'd written, um, so we decided to start recording those for the church, uh, and then in the end, we wrote nearly 50 hymns together. Incredible. That was Father Nelson Kosheski. Yeah. I... I imagined that he, but the point where you said, have you written anything else? He was going to say, I, I thought the story was going to be, yeah, I've written hundreds at last, but he hadn't at all. That's incredible. Yeah. We were writing, I was writing the tunes, you know, day, just a day or two after he would write the poem. So it was a real, it was a, you know, it was a true <laughs> new project, um, uh, in that, in you know, that part of the project was truly, um, you know, we were bringing something brand new into the world. Did did it work very much in that kind of sequence that he would write some words, send them to you, and they'd be always that way around? Yes, yes, always that way around. Um, a couple of the poems, um, you know, I 
every once in a while I'll, I'll be sitting on a melody that I had written, but most of the time it's not strophic or, or it doesn't have a meter to it. You know, it's just kind of an idea or whatever. But I think maybe one or two of the poems, um, I would read it and I'd say, oh, I think that melody that I have already composed would would fit that well. And so I'd kind of put it in there and then let it take on a life of its own. Um, there's one melody I have um, that I've actually applied to four four or five different songs that I've written over the years. Um, but it's, so, you know, once you apply it to the the song idea, it takes on a life of its own so much so that you can't recognize that it all came from wow. the same <laughs> the same source. Yeah. And this is this is Father Nelson Kaczewski. Is that is that how you how you say his name? Yes. Yeah. And, and yes, Father Nelson Kaczewski. Right? And, and, and I think he, did he die last year? Is that right? He died in two thousand nineteen. He died in uh, yeah on March seventeenth, two thousand nineteen. Wow! So you had those four years together. Four years, and now we're very very close with his widow right. Judy. Uh, before we moved. Um, from Dallas, we would go to her house for brunch, you know, mm. once every couple weeks. And, and she's our number one intercessor and, and fan and um, just our, our greatest supporter. And were you, during that time, were you entirely focused on that process of writing together? Or were you also composing writing lyrics? And so did you just, did it become all about the melodies for you? Um, it really did become almost exclusively about the melodies for me. I was still writing um, with other people. I've been a part of United Adoration, mm -hmm. and I hosted several songwriting retreats. Um, and and the focus of that was t it was usually taking old texts or scriptures and setting them to music. So even then, it was very melody focused. Um, and but really, what Nelson what Nelson really clarified for me in our partnership is that my greatest strength as a songwriter is melody. And he, in fact, the way that he told me was so beautiful. He wrote me an icon of Father of uh, Saint Romanos, the melodist, the sixth-century oh. Syrian saint who uh, who composed melodies, and uh, he was a deacon at the Hagia Sophia. And um, and some of his tunes, I believe, are still used in the Orthodox liturgy or, uh, in parts of the world. Uh, but but Nelson gave me this icon that he had, he had written for me, and he said, "Ryan, you are a melodist." Wow. And I it, and it was you know I I at that point I had never even heard that word. I hadn't heard anyone like call you know a musician a melodist. And I said, well, that's really interesting. Um, and then I kind of began reflecting on my, at that point, 20 years of writing music. And I really saw that, yes, like my strength in writing songs is melody. Uh, I have written songs with words. I have written words. I've written, you know, poems and things like that. But it takes a lot out of me to write words. It takes very little out of me in terms of... Um, in, you know, inspiration and just effort to to compose a melody. You know, it takes time to tweak it and to to make it fit the words just right. But um, 
I really saw through my relationship with Nelson that writing melodies is my primary um, my primary calling as a as a songwriter, um, and, I'm, and I also think of um, uh, the hymnals. Like if you open a hymnal and you uh, you look at who composed the hymnal, it's usually two separate people. So one person who wrote the words and another person who wrote the tune. Um, and so I, I kind of took comfort in the fact that there's historic precedent for being a modern songwriter who doesn't focus so much on the words, but rather uses the words that other people have written. We have got our songwriting community, our 12 our Song Challenge community, doing exactly that this month, actually. We've given them a, um, a catalogue of hymn texts, um, of which I think there's about a thousand to dig through and find something they've never seen before, something that inspires them, and then write a mm. tune for it. Um, so it's been a really interesting process. Um, I'm interested in where do you start then? What is it about a text that inspires a melody? <laughs> That's deep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually coming over to your country in a little bit to start studying some of the, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the philosophy behind that and, and the anthropology um, behind that. Um, but for me, it's not as spiritual as you might think. I mean, it's not as like hyper spiritual as you might think, you know, I was reading this poem and praying and the Lord just inspired, you know, it was not, it's usually not that holy. <laughs> it's, um, it's oftentimes it has more to do with the rhythm of the words. Sometimes it has to do with the imagery in the words, like if we're singing about flowing, flowing water and waving trees, you know, in, in this like um, tranquil environment, you're not going to put a punk rock, you know, yeah. groove and, and melody to the song. You're, you're going to, you know, you're going to try to reflect the words in that, um, you know, imaginative sort of way in that fitting sort of way. Um, and so, yeah, like, it's probably an underwhelming answer to your question, but I, I usually am sitting at a piano with a text. Um, I'll read through it once or twice. If one line stands out to me, um, usually I can identify um, the part of the song that I want to make a chorus or a hmm. refrain just by the content of the words. So Nelson rarely would write a chorus sometimes he would write a refrain but most of the time it was like a, a um, you know a, a sequence for you know for a beginning and an end and yeah. he was kind of telling a story uh, through each of the stanzas um, but some but even then there might be a stanza that is just calling to be sung more than once you know what I mean um and so, for example, I'm trying to think of uh, an example. Okay, so there's we have a song on our, our um, Lent album mm -hmm. called D Delight in the Lord, Delight in the Lord. Um, and that stand, the, the, what we made the chorus, Delight, Delight, Delight in the Lord, stand in his presence and give him your praise. Um, 
it was like this is this needs to be sung more than once but it was like the third stanza in in the poem of six or seven stanzas and so um you know i i I wanted to really emphasize that i think we do that with the psalms too traditionally cantor uh, if you chant the psalms you're going to draw out the 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 part of the psalm that is calling to be a refrain and you'll have the whole congregation sing that part of the psalm and you'll have um you know, a cantor or a soloist sing the verses of the songs. I've been struck when listening through several of the records that uh, I suppose I was expecting it to be very folky, and at times it is, but actually it's quite eclectic as well. Uh, other times there's a kind of seventies groove vibe going in there, or there's, there's a kind of there's a range of, of musical styles across it, but there is a kind of glue that holds it together, which is a there's a slight kind of conversationalism to the to the way the text and the music marry together. And are you just letting out whatever comes out? Or are you sometimes thinking, I'm going to go for this vibe today, or I'm going to be inspired by this? Some of what you hear on the records is, you know, a producer saying, hey, let's go with this vibe, you know, in the studio. I'm, I'm more of a, when I write a song, it's just a guitar in my voice or a piano in my voice. And then we you know, a produce somebody with one of those brilliant minds that <laughs> pieces things together, um, comes up with the the vibe idea. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, so in, in terms of folk, calling the calling the project folk music, calling the music folk music has less to do with like the you know '60s Bob Dylan. Um, American folk music um, and, and more to do with this idea that there's music that comes up from the ground. There's music that comes from a people. You might even call it the music of the people. If we call the liturgy the, the work of the people, mm-hmm. folk music might be the, the music of the people, folk music, music of the people. Um, and and so I, when I use the term folk, I use it in a much broader sense. Maybe you you know that conversational feeling that you have uh, when you listen to it is to me that says these are people. It, it's more horizontal music, right? It's it's music that connects souls to one another effortlessly, conversationally. You know, mm. um, you know, as opposed to in and you know, not in objection to, but it, but on the other hand, you have transcendent music or uh, music that kind of comes from the top down, right? So if folk music is coming from the ground up, it's the sound in the ground that it just is there, it's just resonating there already. Then academic music or you know, high music is music that 
is sort of comes down from heaven, right? It's this angelic sound. And I love singing in a chamber choir, you know, Haydn and Bach masses. I love the beauty of the high church music. Um, but I think what I've discovered after 24 years of, of leading music in the church, um, it's this folk expression, this folk style um, that, that gives people uh, a, a greater ability to access the praises of God, to access, um, you know, what might otherwise be kind of this untouchable uh, or intimidating um, experience of God, encounter with God, right? Um, and so it's it's really an entrance, it's an entrance ramp or an on-ramp uh, into the the faith, right? The things of the faith. So that's kind of how I see the big picture philosophically of of folk music and why we um, why we're trying to keep the music down to earth as close to the ground as possible. We don't want to end up, um, you know, doing something for the sake of creating something amazing or cool and totally miss the communication that needs to happen with the people, the common people, especially children and older folks. Those are the ones who are living the most down-to-earth lives, right? Our lives are cluttered and busy and chaotic. And if we aim our music towards the people who are living the most cluttered and chaotic lives, you know, it's going to sound like something, but we're, but the children and the older folks are never going to be able to access it, you know? So that's kind of, that undergirds my philosophy and my reason for calling it folk music and hopefully conveying folk music in in our uh, in our records well that brings us beautifully to your new release which is so today is a big day i'm not sure exactly when we'll get this edit out but it may, may be in the next 24 hours or so but as we're recording today is a big day album release day um tell us about this project uh some of the story behind it and, and how you created it sure the album is called matins and vespers you know which is the liturgical terms for morning and evening morning and evening prayer, the services for morning and evening. Um, that's my little ner liturgical nerdy way of trying to revive um, some language around worship that may have been lost, um, but I think is valuable, um, especially especially for catechizing my children, you know, teaching mm -hmm. them the, the things of the faith and the history of the church. So we call it a Matins and Vespers, um, and we drew... Um, the songs are from the texts of morning and evening prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Um, and we've done a few of those songs before uh, on some of our other projects from morning prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the Gloria, um, the Song of the Three Young Men. Um, there are several other, the General Thanksgiving. Um, but we dove a little deeper into some of the more obscure passages um, that should be sung um, if you if you're praying the offices, you 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 can definitely see that you know a, this text that's called a canticle <laughs> is supposed to be sung, yeah. but there's no music in our prayer book. So we're so you know m me and my family were like, let's write music to to this uh, to this text. So there's a couple canticles in there, the Song of Mary, which can be used both in morning and evening. 
um, the Song of Moses, which is, um, you know, uh, Exodus 15, um, and a couple of the introits or the, the, the what do you call them, Invi- invitatory uh, psalms, the the, the Venite or the Venite, and the Pascha Nostrum, um, and then yeah. Uh, but the the really really special thing about this album, and particularly, which is a little different than um, our other six albums, is that our children are featured very prominently on this album. We wrote these songs because. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were cut off from our community, and we had to really lean into praying um, just within our own home. And we've, you know, we've we've done that at times throughout the past. Our devotion has ebbed and flowed for sure. But with the pandemic, we knew that you know we're going to drown spiritually if we don't, as a family, lean into the prayers, the daily office. Um, And we, my wife and I, discovered many years ago that we are much more likely to pray with our children um, if we sing the prayers um, as opposed to just speaking them. So that was the impetus for the album. Uh, We composed eight songs. Um, The first song that was composed for our album was actually written by my son, who was 11 years old at the time. And he set the confession of sin. And I must say, it is a wonderful uh, melody and um, worthy, I think, even as an 11-year-old. He's written many, many songs, but um, this melody is, uh, is, was definitely worthy of being put on our album. Most merciful God, we confess. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed By what we have done And by what we have left undone We have not loved you with our whole heart We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves We are truly sorry and we humbly So our, our kids sing. They sing three-part harmonies on the album. Um, my son plays the piano on the song that he composed. Um, it's a very simple album. I recorded it with a couple of my friends in Dallas. Um, just that there's only three instruments. It's uh, I'm playing the piano. There's an acoustic guitar. Um, Justin Brooks, who he and his family do all of our liturgical folk tours with us. And then an, uh, an organ, an old French organ. Um, because we recorded in a beautiful old uh, Presbyterian chapel uh, in Dallas, and so it's just those three instruments, and then our, and then five voices. Um, yeah, we're very, very excited about it. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's a, um, you know, I think there's continuity with uh, between the other records, um, in the sense that we're taking old texts and setting them to music, and you know, you'll hear some familiar voices. But it's also um, unique in in its um, even more kind of stripped down version, um, and I think the the usefulness um, is kind of a notch up um, with this album, especially for families who wish to pray 
morning and evening prayer in their homes. But I think also churches, um, music teams, choirs, and others are definitely going to find use um, with the songs. I put the album on. You, you kindly sent me an advanced copy to, to have a listen, and I put it on in the kitchen while I was cooking yesterday. And uh, my wife walks in when track two was playing, instantly said, I like this. What's, what's this? Um, so that's the you you passed the great um, you passed the whistle test um which is really good but actually i also was really struck by that particular track and i just wanted to ask you because it's quite um it's quite weighty lyrics very weighty lyrics and a pretty playful tune and feel and i just i'd love to hear about what what led you into i mean i loved it because of that because it's it mm-hmm. somehow stood out mm-hmm. and um came alive but how did you find your way into that that playful sound <laughs> so you're talking about keep the feast yeah uh, our setting to the pot to the pasca nostrum um well when i okay so it's in the prayer book the directive is that this is the this is the invitation psalm or song to use for, before you pray the psalms during the season of easter and so it's, I really can't take credit for applying a exuberant celebratory tone to it because I feel like Cranmer or whoever, you know, said, hey, let's sing these three little scripture texts and throw alleluias all over it. Um, they're the ones who kind of turned it into a celebratory uh, text. Um, but it's it's this, you know, and it's also one of the, the highest moments of the mass or of the, the liturgy. Um, we we say the words, um, Alleluia, Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. I was taught by some of my teachers in um, seminary and then um, also in uh, my bishop at All Saints in Dallas would, um, whenever we would pray the psalm, he would say, let's stand and then, and we shouted it. I mean, we sang it very, very loud. Um, and then my, you know, my favorite professor in seminary, Robert Weber, um, when he talked about coming to the table of the Lord, he talked about like running to the table of the Lord and dancing to the table of the Lord. This shouldn't, shouldn't be a somber kind of memorial service. This should be a celebration of our redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, you know, I, I felt like that that's what naturally came out of me when i when i read that text that bouncy little you know beetle beetlesque kind of thing <laughs> At the piano going ching 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 or was it the there was that did that come in later? I'm 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 really interested sort of the, the the starting point into it. Yeah. It was it was just that kind of eighth note or quarter note thing that I do. 
Um, yeah. And, and as a melodist, you know, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. No, no, no melody is entirely original. We're influenced by so many things that we've heard over the years. And, and that song in particular, I, you know, I, people have said, oh, that sounds like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) any number, probably three or four different songs. Uh, But the one that I, I personally thought it sounded like is from the Muppets movie. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everything is great. Everything is grand. I've got the whole wide world in the palm of my hand. So that that I'm sure that the the vibe of that song and even the content of that song, uh, yes, it, everything is great because of the resurrection yeah. of Jesus Christ from the dead. At least in our you know in our in the future eschatological sense. So uh, yeah, it was definitely that bouncy thing from the very beginning. It's quite short, obviously, isn't it? Because it's it's a um tracks and you you're not kind of overindulging them um and, and packing them with all kinds of instrumentals and things because and, and that's partly the, the style of the recording as well isn't it it's just kind of it's a small group you're singing the songs but i it caught me out because i got to one of them and i thought oh there's some electric guitar in this one what's this has changed and i just didn't realize that my 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 player had moved on to a, it was now playing sia instead of <laughs> instead oh, of you yes. and i thought gosh it's very eclectic yeah. In fact, we actually extended the length of some of the songs um, because we thought, you know, we have to make this record <laughs> at least a little bit longer. Yeah. The thing is, when when you're using these songs without instruments just in your around your dinner table or in the living room in the morning and in the evening, you're just, it's just, you know, if you're singing the Foes Hillerin, um Oh, gracious light, pure brightness of the ever-living Father in heaven, you're just going to sing it through one time. But on the album, we repeat the first section and we repeat the last section just to, you know, to draw it out a little bit. Um, and then the last song is literally one minute long. <laughs> it's just it's just uh, that that prayer in the night. Yeah, lovely, lovely. I, I, and again, that, that captured me the way exactly that so it sang it through and then you just hear the the accompaniment just to begin to slow down and stop it's unconventional I, that you know conversational and unconventional that's that could be what we're trying to accomplish musically i i uh i'll say this as a melodist i i i always respect when we think outside of the box um in terms of the kinds of music the kinds of songs that we're asking the church to sing because we can you know i'm sure we've all been in worship services where it's like these five or six hit songs with the same arc in each song strung together and they're not even really connected thematically but you're trying to accomplish something different and it seems to be um aiming for a different part of the human being um and and specifically aiming for kind of an emotional encounter with god which is really important a huge part of our spirituality but what we're aiming for in our music through through these prayers and submitting the music, submitting the melody to the text, uh, letting the text determine the structure of the song in some in some 
cases. What we're aiming for is catechism. We want to teach people the things of the faith in a very down-to-earth, practical way, uh, especially children. And um, um, yeah, so I'd say it's it's catechetical and it's devotional. Um, we want people to, we want the listener to really bring their faith into their bodies, into their lived-in experiences. Because I've, for much of my life, I lived in a uh, a world in which faith was very abstract. God was very abstract. Everything was out there. And worship was kind of defined as this, like, um, intense, like, uh, trying to reach out, you know, so we have to clench our eyes as tight as we can and clench our fists as tight as we can and reach out and try to like touch God who's far, far away. And what we're saying is open your eyes, turn the lights on, lighten it up, you know, let the kids come to me. Um, don't, you know, don't let the old people sit in the front pew with a scowl on their face. Get them on their feet, slapping their leg. You know, uh, just let's bring our faith back into our human, earthen, physical, you know, lived-in realities. Thank you, Ryan. And I know the album is available in all the usual places, um, but Bandcamp is especially good because that's the the place you can go where you really do support the artists very directly and there is i can i've got it open now there's songbook and pdfs and there's there's all sorts of things available so you can not only listen to the songs but you can sing them in your church as well and you are coming to the uk very soon which i'm really excited yes. about and i'm so looking forward to when we actually get to meet in person um so um i want to extend a huge welcome at this point to you and i know lots of the people uh listening to the podcast will We'll wish you very well and we'll be delighted that you're coming to our little island and um, going to spend some time here with us and there, and with your family as well. Is it, it's, a, it's a year you're coming for, is that mm-hmm. right? It's a, yes, a nine-month program um, and my family will be with me for the, the last six months of the program. Yeah, down in Oxford. Great, so, so if you're around Oxford, listen out for a melodist singing in the halls somewhere <laughs> and it'll probably be Ryan. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Joel. Mm-hmm.